as I said, I'm a volunteer here. I am actually not the pastor here. So if you've not ever, if you're your first Sunday this Sunday, uh, Pastor Chad is normally here. He's substantially handsomer than I am and has much bigger muscles than I am. Uh, but he is on sabbatical, and so uh, some of us are filling in and helping uh, out. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're actually going to have uh, me here sharing a little bit. And we're going to be talking about uh, wisdom uh, coming out of the book of James. And for me, this is one of those things that I always felt like as a kid that adults, they knew something that I didn't. That if I just knew what they knew, then maybe, just maybe, I could do what they were doing. Um, that there was always like this secret knowledge. And as I've gotten older, I keep waiting for that like manila envelope to slide across my desk that says like, hey, top secret, grown-up stuff. And it has all the cheat codes to adult life. And it just, it just hasn't shown up yet. I'm 41, and it's still not here, so maybe I have to hit 50, and then I'll get the packet of information that finally lets me know. Um, but I've, I know that it's out there. It just feels like it ought to be. Um, when we were first leaving the hospital with our firstborn son, Jed, I remember just being so rattled. And mind you, this is coming off of the person who was childbirth jeopardy champion. So we went through a birthing class there at the hospital. They kind of talked us through what to expect. They said, nobody, you don't shake a baby. I'm like, of course you don't shake a baby. Everybody knows you don't shake a baby. Come on, give me some hard stuff. And I just kept raising my hand every time we had questions. And we, I won childbirth jeopardy, even though most of the people in the room were actually nurses. And I bring it up to my wife all the time that I am, uh, in fact, smarter than all nurses. Um, and she as a nurse resents that. And it's prob- I probably won because I was unencumbered by the self-consciousness of being the person to raise my hand over and over and over again, uh, and not actually out of sheer, just overwhelming intellect. But it doesn't matter. I won, and so I know what's up. But yet, when we were leaving the hospital, even as the childbirth Jeopardy champ, I was so nervous. They come down, they check the car seat, they make sure I've got it installed correctly. They're like, hey, you did a good job. This is installed correctly. I'm like, you know what? I can read the instructions on the side. It's right here. I did it. And that was it. They didn't come home with us. They didn't come check things out. They didn't come check up on us later. There was no test. There was no certification. There was no licensing. We're just parents now, and we're just figuring it out. And the truth is, most of my adult life has been that, that you're just figuring it out and trying to put the pieces together. And sometimes that's really obvious and it's really easy and it's clear like, hey, here are the next steps. Here's what I need to do. Here's the clear answer. Um, And other times it just isn't. And it feels like if I had a little bit of more information, a little bit more knowledge, maybe just maybe I would finally get, get it right. And yet, as I've gotten older, I've come to suspect that maybe there isn't always a right answer to something. That maybe there is this need for what Scripture calls wisdom. That that's an important part of it. And so this morning, we're going to look at the book of James. So if you've got your Bibles or you've got your app, you can flip it open. Um, we're going to be in the book of James. So it's a New Testament book. It's actually toward the uh, front end of your book. So you can almost go three-quarters of the way uh, you know, seven-eighths of the way through your Bible, if you've got a physical Bible, or you can open up your app and look toward the end. You're looking for James. Uh, we're going to be in chapter one is where we're going to be. So James is often treated as, as an epistle or a letter, that it was written to somebody as a letter. 
And, and I think it's a misreading of James to kind of lump it into that category. It falls into that in the New Testament because we don't really know what to do with it. But I think James really is better understood and better seen as a, what, would, what bi- the Bible would call a wisdom book. Um, that James is much closer to the book of Proverbs than it is necessarily to the book of Ephesians. Um, that James is really here to tell us about how to live. And when we talk about wisdom in the Bible, sometimes we can hear it and we think about, you know, philosophers with, uh, you know, uh, corduroy on their elbows and pipes sitting in big leather high back chairs, you know, thinking deep thoughts. But in Scripture, wisdom is very much concerned with the nuts and bolts of how we live of what it means for us to live day in and day out. And so James writes this, starting in verse 2, he says this, Consider it pure joys, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that this is the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. If any of you lacks wisdom... You should ask God, who gives generously without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the waves of the sea blown and tossed in the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. So this is, it's almost an odd collection of words that James chooses to put together here. Consider it pure joy when you face trials, when you face trouble, um, that you should count that as joy. And he says because it, it, it added together to create this whole person. He said so that you'll be complete and mature, which is a hard word necessarily to get your mind around uh, because most of us, when we look at ourselves, tend to see ourselves as mature. We tend to see ourselves as somebody who's pretty accomplished. And I know this because I do this. I remember sitting in college and walking through a developmental psychology class. And the teacher was kind of walking through these different stages of development in kids and in adults and in senior adults. And and talking about, you know, physical development, but also intellectual development, and in particular, moral development. Like, how do you begin to reason uh, things out morally and spiritually uh, as as you grow throughout the years? And the teacher said this. she She said, now listen, a lot of college students tend to see themselves at the highest level of moral development. And I just want to tell you, you're not. And I remember hearing that and being like, you know, this professor's probably right about that for the rest of them. But for me, I am definitely morally developed. I am wise. I know what I'm doing at 19 years old. I have got this sorted and there's, it's so hard to see in yourself at any one time how much growing you still have left to do. Because it, you, there's never a point in which it's just clear. They're like, hey, I have arrived. I am complete. I remember sitting in the office of a friend of mine. Uh, she was a judge. Um, and I remember sitting in her office. And it's this beautifully equipped office, big uh, leather Chesterfield sofa that I'm sitting on. And we're talking about a mutual friend of ours um, and what we could do to kind of con- collectively try to help this person as they're facing some particular challenges, in particular some legal challenges, hence the reason I'm in her office. And as we're talking about it and uh, just chatting about life in general, one of the things I asked her is I said, hey, just out of curiosity, when did you feel like an adult? 
when did you feel like a grown-up? And this is a judge sitting behind her desk, nameplate. She's in her 60s at this point. She's got grandkids. And she laughed and leaned over and said, I still see myself as the stupid 17-year-old girl that left home. And it just was struck at that moment that like, hey, I, I don't know when we get there. I don't know that there is a there to get. And I began to wonder, maybe that packet, maybe that top secret packet of adult cheat codes isn't going to come my way. And the truth is, if I had read Scripture and paid more attention to Scripture, I would see that that's the case. Um, when we talk about wisdom in Scripture, it's a theme that's huge in the Bible. Um, it occurs over and over again. Um, that wisdom is something that's talked about. Wisdom is something that's pushed. Wisdom is an idea that we're supposed to chase after. When Solomon, the wisest man to ever live, was given an, uh, the gift from God that he could choose anything he wanted in the whole world, he chose wisdom. And that was meant to teach us what we need to do. But as a kid, I heard that as like, man, Solomon, he got a genie, and he figured out a hack to get more wishes. He asked for wisdom, but then he got all the money, he got all the women, he got all the power, he got all of these things because he knew the cheat code. And I just need to, I just need to find that cheat code. That's what it is. Instead of realizing that maybe wisdom in and of itself is what we're supposed to chase, chase after. So how do we even define wisdom? How do we talk about wisdom um, in a way that makes sense to us? One of my favorite definitions comes from Pastor Tim Keller. He says this, Wisdom can be defined as the competency with regards to the, complexity of, to the complex realities of life. The wisdom is the competency in regard to the complex realities of life. That life really is complicated. That there isn't always a right and a wrong. That sometimes there's, there's rights and wrongs answers. And so how do you choose what to do? How do we begin to lean into this? And some of you, your response to this is going to be because you grew up in the same churches that I grew up in, or you grew up with a really clear black and white view of the world. You're going to say, you know, if you just knew the Bible better, then you would know what to do. If you just read and studied more of the Word, if you just were a better student of the Word, if you were a better theologian, then you would know what to do. Then you would know what to do because Scripture is clear. I think of like Dr. Tony Evans. I don't know if you all know who Dr. Tony Evans is. He's one of my favorite preachers to listen to. Uh, Dr. Tony Evans has a nearly unparalleled ability to quote Scripture. It doesn't matter what's happening. He's waiting in line at Starbucks, and they call it out, and he goes and he opens his coffee up, and there's no cream in it, and he's got a Bible verse for why his coffee needs cream in it. I mean, he just, that man knows the Word of God, and I don't. I wish I did. I wish I could quote Scripture the way that man does. And so maybe I would, I would learn it. But, again, when we look at the Bible, it speaks for itself. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 26, verse 4, um, it tells us how we could deal with this. Maybe you have this situation at your job where you have a coworker that just drives you bananas. A coworker that is just one of those people who their ideas, their beliefs, their thoughts, maybe it's their politics, that are just so hard to put up with. Um, they're so irritating to listen to them talk. Maybe it's their take on sports. And you're like, gosh, this person is just an idiot. Um, and so you're like, how do I handle that? How do I answer that? What do I do? Well, Proverbs 24 has an answer. It says, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. 
Proverbs is saying, hey, you got that stupid person at work that you want to argue with? Don't. Don't argue with a fool because you'll become a fool yourself. I wish I would have heard that when I was younger because that would have saved me so many stupid arguments on the internet with people. The problem, the challenge, the rub for us is that Proverbs 20, uh, chapter 20, verse 4 comes right before Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5, which says this, answer a, cool, a fool according to his folly or he will be wise in his own eyes. Say, so, hey, hey, that person that's an idiot, you got to tell them they're an idiot, or else they're going to think they know what they're doing. So which is it? What do you do with the coworker that's driving you crazy? Do you answer them? Do you challenge them and then become a fool? Or do you ignore them and let them think that they're right? Well, which is it? Which Bible verse do you follow? How do you decide? That's wisdom. And I hate it. I want a clear answer. I want to know what to do. I want somebody to step in and tell me, hey, here really is the cheat code. Here really is the hack. And there just isn't. There isn't a clear answer sometimes. C.S. Lewis knew this from year, years back. In 1943, when he wrote the book Abolition of Man, he wrote this line. He said, for, uh, for the wise men of old, the cardinal problem of, of life was how to conform the soul to the objective reality. And the solution was wisdom, self-discipline, and virtue. For the modern, the cardinal problem is how to conform reality to the wishes of man. And the solution is a technique. That he's, what he's saying is, for, for those people in the past, many of them looked at the complex realities of life. And their answer to that solution was not, let me change the world to suit me. But their answer was, how can I navigate the real world the way it really is? How can I step in and begin to move through this? And it was with wisdom and discipline and virtue. Those are the things that I need. But we live in a world in which we want a technique. We want a solution. We want technology. We want, a pro we want somebody to fix it for us. Um, and he wrote this in 1943, but it's still true today. And I know it's still true because it's true of me. When I face a difficult challenge, something that I need help navigating, my default response, and I bet for many of you, your default response is, oh, I can just buy something to fix that. It's probably something on Amazon. You know, I got this problem, I get something on Amazon. Not getting up early enough in the morning, I, I need a better alarm clock. That's what I need. I just need a better alarm clock. I need a morning routine. Let me go look for a bunch of morning routines and buy all the stuff for these morning routines. I got a problem that I'm facing. I got to make a tough choice about a career path. What do I going to do? I got I had this job. I got this job. I got this job. I got to choose what I want to do here. I'm going to go find somebody. I'm going to go hire an expert. I'm going to go do some research. I'm going to go buy my way to a solution. Oh, I've got a problem with my kids. I got a challenge with my kids. I bet there's a device to fix that. Probably need just need a better app. I just need a better app. That's what I need. I'll go find an app and that'll solve it. Because we want a technique. We want something that will help sort it out. But the problem in Scripture is that wisdom isn't a technique. It's a path that we have to walk. It's a path that we have to walk. There's no one way to begin to, uh, to, begin to move through these uh, complex realities of life. 
Um, Proverbs chapter 8. Um, if you haven't read that chapter in a while or you've never read that chapter, uh, write that down as a note for yourself this week. Um, Proverbs chapter 8. Um, this whole chapter is um, Lady Wisdom speaking. Um, it is wisdom personified, and she is standing at the crossroads, calling out, inviting people to follow her, to begin to seek her and to seek her path. And one of the challenges with wisdom is that wisdom really is all around us. Wisdom really is all around us. We just often don't fail or fail to see it. We get caught up in sound bites, in bombastic answers, um, and we miss that sometimes wisdom just really does take patience, and it takes listening, and it takes one of the most difficult things. It takes self-reflection, because there isn't always a right answer. It isn't always obvious. It isn't always easy. I mean, there's so many problems we face in the world that are difficult to navigate. Um, sometimes they're problems that are really clearly have moral answers, what, you know, really clearly have it. And other times there are problems that are just more nuanced. Um, one of the problems that came to mind as I was thinking through this is the water shortage that many of the western states have been facing. Um, these different states have been trying to negotiate water usage rights through California, Nevada, Utah, uh, um, and uh, California. Uh, they've kind of been trying to working together to try to figure out how to do this. And what's crazy is we've known it's a problem for 20 years. And we've done nothing to address it because the realities of the situation are really tough. There are treaty rights, there are contracts, there are legal rights to different groups and different people, and it's just going to be a difficult situation to navigate. And so how do we solve the problem? We've, we just reached a compromise just recently that's going to help at least alleviate the problem for the moment. We just threw money at it. We just went and said, hey, listen, I know you have the rights to do it, but we're just going to pay you. Will you do that? We can give you some money and you won't get as much. Is that all right? Is that a fair, fair deal? That's what we did. We didn't, because the hard decisions of I'll take less so that we all can work together, who wants to make that? Who wants to be that person in a contract negotiation? Wisdom sometimes just takes us being patient and pausing and listening. Proverbs chapter 8, Lady Wisdom says this. She says, uh, for those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. Wisdom is all around us. It is, it is a part of the fabric of the world that we live in. We just live in a culture that does not value it very much. We tend to value quick answers. We tend to value innovation. We tend to value new techniques. We, want, we tend to admire people who can bend the world to their will. And we tend to struggle with people who are wise, who are patient, who are quiet. I mean, yet those are the virtues that Scripture makes a big deal about. I think if you think back to some of the people you know in your life, people that you really would consider to be wise, you would begin to see some common threads in who they are and, what, and how they're made up. And some of you may be thinking about a grandparent right now and have a grandparent in your mind that was really wise. Some of you had some grandparents that were less wise. Um, I, I might have had some of those. Um, some grandparents who made some poor choices, um, but also some people in my life who've made really great choices, people who humbly walked faithfully. 
Um, there's a gentleman who, um, when I was facing a pretty difficult circumstance, I called him and I was like, hey, can I talk to you for a little bit? Can we, can we meet for coffee? Um, and Randy came and, and spent some time with me, and we began to talk and uh, talked repeatedly over the next couple of weeks as we were trying to navigate the situation. And he gave me some insights that I carry to this day in how I approach things and how I talk about things. Um, because he was a, he's a somebody who has just, uh, he's been a pastor for decades, um, got a long track record of faithfulness, of fruitfulness. Um, he's not somebody who's well-known. He's not somebody who's famous. He's not somebody who's written books on the New York Times bestseller list. But he is somebody who's wise. And what was so frustrating about that conversation is I said, all right, Randy, let me tell you what's going on. And I began to lay out the situation for him. And I bet I talked for 20 minutes. I said, I said, I'm just trying to get, make sure you understand all the ins and outs here as best I can. And he said, oh, man. When I finished, I was like, okay, so what do I do? And he said, man, that's tough. That's tough. I don't know. What do you think you should do? I'm like, Randy, that's why I called you. That's why I, that's why I brought you in here. That's why I need your wisdom here. I need you to tell me what to do. And he didn't tell me what to do. But instead, he walked alongside me for the next several months, making sure that I had somebody to talk to and pray to. And at one point, he said this. He said, there isn't a right and a wrong here. There's just what God has called you to do and how to be faithful in it. There isn't a right or a wrong here. And I so wanted there to be a right and a wrong. I so wanted it to be clear. I wanted an up and down, yes, no. I wanted a clear answer. And Randy instead said, you just have to be faithful. You have to trust that God is leading you and make the best decision you can in the best circumstances you can. And if it's not the right answer, that's okay. Whatever is going to happen is ultimately going to be fine. And again, it's not that those are all the situations we face. Sometimes it's really clear. Should I embezzle from my company? Yes or no? I don't know. It's, no, it's not a gray area. No is the answer. No is the answer. No is the answer. You should not do that. Sometimes it's really clear. But others, I got, I got an opportunity to move. I got a promotion with my company. But it means relocating. And my wife loves her job. My kids love their school. We have a great relationship with our neighbors. But this is 50K more a year if we move. What's the right answer there? There just isn't one. You can stay or go. Both, both may very well be the right answer. God may have a great story to tell either way. But it takes wisdom and patience. One of my favorite stories of this, um, there's a theologian um, named Stanley Hauerwas, um, who is a real famous Methodist theologian. And uh, Stanley Hauerwas was teaching at Notre Dame. He was a theology professor at Notre Dame University, which, uh, if you don't know this, that's real cool. Um, of being a theology professor, Notre Dame is right up there with, like, the coolest places to be a theology professor. And they loved the church community that they were a part of. Um, they were very active in a small Methodist church there. Uh, they very much loved the community that they lived in. And he got a call um, from William Williman asking him to come and become the chair of the theology department at Duke, which is also a really cool job. And they were trying to decide how to make that decision. And they sat down with their church community. They sat down with their small group and said, hey, here's the choices we have. We want you guys to pray about it, and we want you to tell us what you think we should do. Should we stay and continue to be a part of this church community, continue to teach here, continue to be faithful in what God's given us here, or should we go? Can you imagine? 
the future of your life, of your career, in the hands of other people. That takes humility. That takes graciousness. And ultimately, I think it takes wisdom to be able to trust others for this insight. So one of the things that I love about that story is that ultimately they did decide to go. The church community said, hey, you're just a part of the team here, but you get to lead the team at Duke. You get to help make a huge impact. And sure enough, when he got to Duke, him and uh, Willimon wrote a book together that's been one of the most impactful books for the church over the last uh, 50 years. Um, it just has had a huge uh, impact on the church collectively over the years um, because of that decision to make that transition. And would it have been different if he had stayed put? I don't know, probably. Would it have been just as good? It could have been. It could have been even better, honestly. It could have been even better. But he trusted his church community and their insights and their thoughts. James chapter 3 says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life and by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. And James goes on to say this just a few verses later in verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. When you're seeking those around you and you're seeking wisdom from other people, those are the characteristics you're looking for. You're not looking, you notice on that list what's not included? Success. We live in a, in a technology-obsessed, success-obsessed culture. We genuinely believe that the reason that people are successful in business is because they're smarter than the rest of us. And as somebody who's worked on the backside of business and support roles for lots of businesses, I can assure you that's not true. Um, there's a lot of very, very stupid business owners out there. People that their business is just hanging on by a thread, and the only reason it's working is sheer force of will. Um, and some people, the only reason it's working is because nobody's looked at the books too closely. <laughs> and there are other people who live lives that are quiet and reserved and have more wisdom and insight than you could imagine. People that have, when you are faced with challenges, if you would just pause and listen and ask, and have you humility to submit yourself to somebody else may very well have some insights for you that could change your life. And so what I want to leave you with this morning, what I want to leave you with as we're kind of entering into the next couple of weeks here, is I want to leave you with this. I want to leave you with a desire to become wise. There's nothing less cool in our culture right now. When you look at the best books in the self-help or business or leadership categories, none of them are about becoming a wise and gentle person. None of them are going to have insights on how to navigate the complexities of the world we live in. They all have clear black and white answers because they want to tell you that there's a door that if you just open that door, it'll change everything. And if you're like me, you're starting to maybe wonder, does that door really exist? And the answer is no. The answer is no. It's a path of faithfulness following in the steps of Jesus. It's a path of faithfulness following in the steps of Jesus. And that can be, begin to bring about wisdom. Because again, when you look at the beginning of James there, it says, consider it joy when you face trouble. Because that begins to shape you into who you are. 
Because wisdom doesn't mean that there isn't going to be challenges in life. It doesn't mean that things aren't going to be difficult. But instead, wisdom is the promise that we know who God is. And one of my favorite quotes related to this is from Andy Stanley. Andy Stanley says this. Um, oh, where's it at? Um, uh, wisdom begins with a proper understanding of who God is. And I think this second part's even is more important. And who we are not. That wisdom starts with understanding who God is and who we are not. If we can understand that we belong to him, that we are rooted in him, that our identity comes from him, not who we are, not what we do, not what we've accomplished, not what we can measure up to, um, not our value that we add to other people, but instead who God is and who we are in him. If we can begin there, it begins to shape everything. And so what I want to leave you with is that passion for wisdom. I want to invite you to uh, begin to pray. You know, uh, James tells us that if anyone lacks wisdom, that we are to pray and ask God for it. And so this morning, I want us to build our life to be lives full of wisdom, to be people who are full of wisdom. And I want to invite you into that as well. Um, After this week, we're going to be looking at how do, what does wisdom mean when it comes to others? And then last week, we're gonna, the final week, we're going to look at what does wisdom mean uh, related to myself. Um, and I've got all kinds of stuff I'm excited to talk to you about, not the least of which is if there's drama in your life, it is because you made an unwise choice. And I can't wait to talk about it. So, but for now, I just want you to develop a passion for wisdom. When Jesus sat down with Nicodemus, And Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin, a religious leader, somebody who uh, lived a life that others uh, admired. When Jesus and Nicodemus sat down and began to talk, part of what Jesus says is Jesus says that he is the one who has come down from heaven. And in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, one of the things it talks about is how can you know wisdom? It is you are the one, the the only one who really truly knows wisdom is the one who's been to heaven and come back. And Jesus is making it very clear that that's who he is. And that's who we get to follow. Jesus came to live the life we were called to live. And he died the death we were supposed to die. And he was raised to new life. And it's his resurrection that really does change everything. And it's not a solution that fixes life. But it's this invitation to walk on this path of wisdom in his footsteps to become who God has made you to be. I'm going to invite the band to come up as we uh, get ready to talk through uh, and sing through kind of what it looks like to build our lives, um, to be lives of wisdom, uh, to be lives that are steeped in the word. Um, But let me pray for us. Father God, I just want to thank you so much that you have given us this gift, this gift of new life that comes through Jesus through his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that because of who he is, nothing will ever stay the same. The God at the end of time, when the trumpet sounds and every tear has been wiped away and the world has been set to rights, we will see how clear it is that everything has changed. But God, for now, as we navigate the ups and downs and complexities of life, Would you give us wisdom to hear? Would you give us a heart to desire that? God, for those of us like me who are still desperately looking for a cheat code, that there's just a technique out there that we think we could find, 
and that it would change everything for us. Would you give us the moment to pause and to reflect and to recognize that instead it's a path we've been invited to, that we could follow in the steps of Jesus, that we could make wise choices, and that those choices would begin to shape us. And God, when struggles come, we would recognize that those are opportunities for us to grow and again to be shaped into the men and women you've called us to be. God, I thank you, honestly, I thank you that it is not always clear, that there's not always a yes and a no, but you give us the choice to follow you. God, when we build lives that reflect you and reflect your heart for the world, that we would be people who are busy bringing about the kingdom, that we be wise, that we be quiet and gentle, that our good deeds will be reflected in the wise choices we make, and that it would begin here and now. God, thank you so much for your son, our king, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.